Hey everyone, welcome back to Why'd You Buy That? I'm Dan Thetaller. I'm Drew Adams. And uh, today we're going to be starting off by sharing some of my experiences in our recent trip to Las Vegas and what I learned about money and gambling down there. And then I tell you about my attempt to get some doors hung in my house. It was uh, some more involved process than you might think. A valiant effort, I would say. Thanks so much for joining us. Stick around. Dan, so the last time we checked in with you, you were having your anniversary celebration going to Las Vegas. Yes. So <laughs> I want to hear all about that. Yeah, it was quite the experience. We, My wife and I were talking about just all the different aspects of money, like the whole time we went down to Las Vegas. And there's a, there's a lot of different experiences you have when you go on a trip, but in particular, Las Vegas, right? It's just like really glamorous and there's people gambling and you know, wasting money and rich people. And it's just like, just the whole scene. But one of my like kind of precursor thoughts was whenever you get out and try something new, there's always like an increased risk that you're going to waste money or do something dumb or spend money on something that just like didn't have the value that you hoped it would. Right. And so we had lots of new experiences. So the first one that came up was actually our car. Because we drove down to Las Vegas in our 2005 Xterra, and it's got like 210,000 miles on it or something like that. Amazing. <laughs> and we call it the white knuckler because when you're driving it, you're always a little nervous <laughs> that like something's going to go south. But I do have to say, I feel very rich driving an old car. I feel like I have no car payment. If something breaks, it's like not a problem. You know, we can get it fixed. If the whole car like dies and I need to get a different car, it's like not the end of the world, you know? Uh Uh-huh. So what would the car have to do? What condition would it have to be in for you to finally give it up? I'm interested in this because I actually drove a car like this till it was dead. But I'll tell you, I'll tell you the moment I was like, okay, it's time. But I, w- I want to hear what you think your moment will be. Yeah, I, you know, it's hard to say. Like, we, we only have one car. We've been a one-car family for most of our marriage. Even though we have two kids and, you know, different things going on, we've been able to get through all except for about two years where we've only had one car. And so, you know, because we have kids and, like, my wife drives this car a lot, there are some basic things that we need. And we're we're kind of on the border on a few things. Like, the AC only works full blast. Like you can't turn it on to like a low setting. So it's either on or it's off. (laughs) All or nothing. (laughs) So like, which is kind of challenging because obviously it's an older car. So there's only AC vents in the front and you can't like adjust them based on the passenger seat or the driver's seat or anything. So whoever's sitting in the sun based on the direction you're traveling, where the sun's at is like wants the AC on and whoever's on the other side in the shadow is just cold, right? And so it's hard to like get that get that yeah. balance. It's like, Dad, could you turn <laughs> on the air conditioning? Yeah, and the kids in the no, background. I'm cold. What's that? <laughs> it's freezing up here. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's so funny, but it's just a real it's a real thing. And it's hard for me. Sorry, I'm kind of like answering your question in a roundabout way, but it's hard for me to to justify buying a new car with all the kind of bells and whistles, like being able to adjust the 
AC and the heat in different areas of the car or having a better sound system, you know, it's like, man, I, I can't see myself paying more than like a couple thousand dollars total for some of those features that we're currently missing. And right now our car's paid off. So if we bought a new car with those features that was in good condition, you know, that's like at least $20,000, I would think. So I don't, I don't know what it would take to like, just give up the car. I guess it would be some really expensive repairs maybe or something. Cause like we would, I would keep putting money into this car for now, even, even a couple thousand dollars in repairs for, you know, something serious. I would pay that. Cause I just, this would be so much cheaper than getting a new car. Yeah. I'm with you as far as feeling great when you're riding down the down the road with a car with no car payment. It doesn't make you feel like, yeah, man, this is it. I'm good. <laughs> and then is then you take it to the mechanic and you pay three or four hundred dollars for something, you know, something broke. I don't know. Alternator. I don't know where that came from, but you know, that broke and you gotta get a new this and a new that. And it starts to add up. It starts to like you're like, okay, this is this is kind of equaling a two hundred fifty dollar car payment or something. But I was telling you, like, the moment that I was like, listen, I really need to get a new car, like, was I was driving my Jeep, and my Jeep was not the nicest Jeep, but it was a good Jeep for a long time, and it had, like, this felt, like, the ceiling was kind of like a felt ceiling, you know? I don't know if you can picture this, but it was a kind of, you know, the ceiling was there, but the felt of the ceiling started coming off, and so it was like, (laughs) it was like a sinking tent, (laughs) <laughs> and you would kind of have to like brush it out of your face <laughs> as you're driving down the street. <laughs> and I'm taking my son to school and he's like, dad, this fell down from the ceiling. <laughs> and I was like, there's, mm, just push it back. I up, think dad. I just, yeah, there's like a little, <laughs> I'm losing respect here. I feel like <laughs> people, I gotta, I might have to break down and get a car. Yeah, so that was it. That was it for me. Yeah. When the pieces of the ceiling started coming down and like onto my kids while they were sitting in the car. <laughs> and then when yeah, the paint that, starts coming off the front hood, you know, and you know what I'm talking about where that kind of look you get that going. Is that going on in your car right now? We've been pretty good. We got like a couple of little rust spots, but nothing that's like nothing that's problematic in the sense that you feel embarrassed driving down yeah. the road. <laughs> but I keep going, man. I say keep Keep milking it. Yeah. Save yeah that we're we're going to hold on to that. We do have a squeak that comes up once in a while. And that's similar to the, the paint just chipping off where it's like, it's not a problem, except it's just really embarrassing, right? Like, like as you're driving past this, go squeak, 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 squeak. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You're like at the stoplight, and like, <laughs> like people are looking at you. Your face. Like, I don't know where that sound is coming from. <laughs> Is that you? Is that me? I don't know. I think that's you, buddy. That's <laughs> <laughs> not me. <laughs> okay, continue with the Las Vegas story. So we drove down to Las Vegas. It's like six hours. It's super hot car ride. And then once we got there, we pull up. We stayed at Caesar's Palace. So it's like on the strip. And there's a lot of people, just kind of things going on. And And I'm always like, let's just see what the cheapest option is for parking and then kind of go from there right yeah Mm -hmm. they got the valet option and it's back to my original thought where whenever you you're not really used to doing something there's just some uncertainty you know you don't know like 
the etiquette and the protocol and exactly how much it costs and how you're charged and the whole formality of it. So I drove to the self-parking, which seriously was like a mile away, it was forever away, trying to figure out where we're going. And, and then I couldn't even really tell like, are we parked in the right lot? Like, should I be, is this a paid lot, even though it's self-parking, like that whole situation? And then my wife was like, we just need to go back and do this valet parking because I don't want to carry our bags like clear over there, especially when we first get there. So I, I, I was just trying to kind of go with some of those things. On right. The trip, right. It was like a celebration. So it, it's optional valet parking in the quotes, but it's really not yeah. so optional. Like when you yeah. actually have to travel with your bags <laughs> from a mile away. Yeah, exactly. So we pull up to the valet people and everything that we did there that we didn't know about, we were asking people about. Everyone was very kind and helpful. Like I felt like people that were working there in Las Vegas at at the restaurants and the valet and just all the people we talked to, like they liked to be there. You know, they were really helpful and friendly. And so the guy that we talked to, we said, Hey, we never done this before. What's, you know, what's the deal? How do we pay for this? how do we get our car? And and he kind of broke the whole thing down. It was like $20 for two hours of valet parking where you can come and go as you please for two hours. And then it was $30 for 24 hours. So I went with the 24 hour option. I, I mean, I didn't select it. It's just kind of what, what we did because we didn't check out our car out of the, the valet before the two hour time limit, but that works pretty good. I did kind of figure out the tipping thing that was a separate thing as part of the valet, right? The tips are in addition to the the payment. So generally you give whoever picks up your car for you a couple of dollars. And I had a few hit and miss experiences. I should have brought cash. This is one of the things that I now know because I've been there, but I should have brought like some petty cash to tip and just $1 bills like tip like two or three bucks when they get your car. And so a couple of times I had money. Sometimes it was like a $5 bill and it was just like, okay, five bucks. Here you go. And at other times I didn't have any money. And so that happened twice. And so one of the times, the first time I said like, Hey, I'm really sorry. I don't, I don't have any cash on me. And the lady was like, that's okay. You'll get us next time or something. And like moved on. And the second time I just didn't say anything. And I just (laughs) got in my car And that was actually a much better experience. It was just like, all right, he just moved on. I moved on and it was good. So it was better not to say anything. It was better. Yeah. Like as soon as I started motioning that I was getting in my car, he moved on and that was like the end of it. You know, I've seen people in Las Vegas also tip with chips. So if you buy, if you buy chips for the table and then you're walking out and you're going somewhere, you can just give it the chip and they can go cash that in. Yeah, that's that is interesting. But you're right. We don't capture. We don't have cash any, anymore as much as we used to. So leaving a tip, it's kind of like, hey man, you got Venmo? Like, let me Venmo. Yeah, <laughs> you no, seriously. Yeah. And can I take a take a time out here for a yeah. second? Yeah. Yeah. Can definitely. We, uh, sorry, I just have to address it. But what's going on, man, <laughs> with the coronavirus? Like, is everybody in masks? Are you? Yep. Everybody's <laughs> masked up. In fact, that the. Uh, you know, a lot of the hotels are now open, but there are like some pretty significant restrictions. Like even at the pool, you have to wear a mask 
like unless you're actually like swimming in the water even if you're sitting on the side you need to wear a mask and they're enforcing it you've got to be socially distanced they've got like hand sanitizer everywhere so yeah there's definitely like lots of restrictions even in the gambling area or whatever I guess we'll get to that part. But one of the things, like when you're handing out cash, and I've handed out a cash a couple of times, we talked about this with the with the dollhouse incident. It was like you take the cash and you're like, you're handing something that someone has handled, right? Every time you do that, you think, at least I do, I'm like, do I need to wipe it down or spray it or what? Yeah. And that's that's part of why I don't have cash. I think, you know, f- even fewer people have cash now because of coronavirus. Some people, some places aren't accepting cash at all, which to me makes sense. Like, We'll get to some of these other things, but in some some of the things that I noticed on this trip was how the coronavirus has kind of forced this adoption of more touchless payment systems and just kind of pushed things forward, made things a little bit easier. And so, for example, the the first night we got there, we ate at the Cheesecake Factory, and uh, when they brought us out the bill, there was a QR code on the receipt. Well, it wasn't like a receipt. It was like the, you know, the, it's like the receipt they, they bring you before you actually pay. And, and so you scan this QR code and then just pay on your phone and then leave. You don't like give them your card and they go swipe it and bring it back to you and sign something. You know, you just, it's all just through your phone. That's, which is that's cool. better like in, in normal world, non-coronavirus world, right? Yeah. Yeah, totally. So I'm sure some of those things will just be the normal after coronavirus ends. Yeah. Okay, cool. So is this your first time in Vegas? I would say first time I've gone to Vegas as an adult, as like the destination. I've been through there a few times and like kind of stopped in, but never like as a destination. So you must have had to pick up your car a couple of times. You were going different places while you were there. Yeah, we walked a lot, but we did. Yep. We picked up our car a few times. And then after that first day, we just did the self-parking because I kind of got that figured out a little bit more and figured out how to park a little bit closer and we didn't have our bags. So that kind of like worked out. So I wasn't paying like $30 every day we were there. Okay. And you were there for, we were there for like three days. Yeah. Okay, cool. What else? Let's talk about the gambling a little little bit. That was new to me. So uh, first off kind of the coronavirus on my mind. So they did have lots of things set up to separate people, right? So when you're sitting at a table, I think you're you're probably not always six feet apart, but they put up these plastic barriers. What's that plastic, hard plastic stuff? I can't remember what that material is called. Plexiglass maybe? Yeah, just basically plexiglass in between all the people and the... Who's the guy? (laughs) I obviously learned a lot about gambling. (laughs) Who's the person at the table working it? The dealer? Yeah, like the dealer. So he's got glass, you know, in front of him, and then there's glass separating all the people at the table and everyone's wearing masks. So it was it was kind of interesting in that way. Did you do gambling? A little bit. So on on the way down, Anna and I watched some YouTube videos to try to figure out what kind of the best options were, how to like approach it. And we listened to a lot about how the slot machines work and how they have like these actually hardware driven return percentages. So if you're playing a slot machine, that slot machine is actually like built in with the hardware chip to return a certain percentage. It just like generates this random number, but it's like built into the chip. And so almost all casinos and slot machines 
have a fixed value on their individual slot machines that you're going to get back. And and it's not something that the casinos can just like change willy nilly through some admin platform or something. So the higher the amount of the, uh, what's it called? The higher the payout? Well, the higher the amount for the the spin, right? So if it's like a, yeah, if it's like a one, if it's like a penny slot or like a dollar, $5, $25, the higher the amount, the higher the percentage payout. So on the low end, if you're paying penny slots, that can be down like mid eighties, like 83 to 87%. So on average over millions of plays, you'll get about 85% of your money back over time. Oh, okay. Right. Okay. Okay. On the more expensive ones, like if you're playing a $25 slot, then that's like somewhere around 95 to 98%. So that's like a much higher likelihood that you're going to get money back, right? All right. I got a question. <laughs> yes. Which is, do does the hardware reset itself each time a new person sits down? Would it even know, right? So like I'm assuming if you're the machine... And you're trying to hit this 95% number of winning. And then the person's person A stays there for three pulls. And then, and then the hot streak comes. And then the next guy, does, do they keep track of who's sitting? There's no way they keep track of who's sitting down, right? It's just a natural recycling flow, right? Yeah. So basically every, every pull, every bet is totally independent from the prior bet. So if you, if you pull that slot, and you get a jackpot and you bet a, again a second time, you're just as likely to get a jackpot as you were the time before, the pull before. Okay, that makes total sense. Okay. Yeah. So, like, you know, so the slot machines, it's, it's totally random, but you definitely are losing money over time. It's just like how it works. This episode is brought to you by Weekly, our app that helps you stick to a budget. It's in the Apple iOS app store. You can also find us at weeklybudgeting.com. We have a completely different take on budgeting. The traditional method is to operate on a month, to put everything into categories and subtract the money out of categories. But this ends in frustration for lots of people because they get halfway through the month. They may have overspent or underspent a category. They're not sure where to grab the money from. Oh, by the way, does this sound familiar? Hey, honey, where's the target receipt? I'm trying to figure out if that is a household expense or a food expense. It's just a disaster. So then you end up at the end of the month, you're not sure what happened, and you just give up. So we've come up with a different way, which is to operate on a weekly basis. We take your recurring income, your recurring expenses, we subtract your expenses from your income, and then we come up with what you can safely spend for a week. Then we keep you in touch with that number, downloading your transactions from the bank so that you can always know what is safe to spend. This alleviates the guilt of spending and lets you spend with more joy. So we hope you give the app a try. Um, you can go to weeklybudgeting.com, click on the icon, go to the app store. You can also search in the app store for weekly budget or weekly budgeting. Right now we're at the top of the organic rankings for that. And give it a try. Let us know what you think. And welcome to the podcast and welcome to the weekly community. So it was interesting. So we, I, I wanted to like get into gambling, but there was like lots to do there. But I wanted to spend some money on it. Eventually, it was like our last day there, and we had a ten dollar voucher for just like signing up for their rewards card. So we finally were like, okay, we got to do this. So we go over to some slot machines, 
scan the $10 voucher and then just start pressing buttons. Like <laughs> it's, it's insane how complicated they can make these machines, right? Like it feels like there's really a lot going on and you've got a lot of options and a lot of things, but really at the end of the day, you're just like rolling the dice and over time you're just losing money. Right. So, you know, we're at this machine and it's like any, you can bet anywhere from 40 cents to a dollar or something in these like 20 cent increments. So you can bet 40, 60, 80 cents or a dollar. And so Anna starts like pushing buttons. We're pulling the lever you know, we're losing money. <laughs> it's like We got $10 and that number is just going down. And it's hard to know even if you won or you lost based on the output on the screen. It's just random things sliding all over the place. <laughs> and I'm sure if, if people like do this seriously, they would be able to make sense of it. But for me, it's like the only way I know if I made money on a bet <laughs> is if the if my credit amount goes up at the bottom. You know, like I couldn't tell like you won or you lost nothing. It's just you get some numbers and that <laughs> your money number changes. <laughs> so that's hilarious. We play for a minute, then we actually got up to twelve dollars at one point. So we had gained two dollars from our initial ten dollar voucher and then played a minute longer and we were back to ten dollars. And then we cashed it out and Anna and I each took a $5 credit so we could play independently and see how well we could do. So Anna played, <laughs> it's so un- uneventful from here. Anna put in her money and just played and just lost it all very quickly. <laughs> like After like seven or eight spins of losing money, she had 35 cents left and the minimum bet was 40 cents. So she couldn't even bet anymore on that machine. And at that point I said, I'm just going to go home a winner and take my $5 because I know if I bet it, it's just going to be gone. So we went over to the, the machine where you like, so any, anytime you leave a slot machine, they print out a voucher with whatever money you had and it's got a barcode on it. So we go over to this machine where you actually get the cash and we scan it. We scan mine and then we scan hers. So we were owed $5.35. We got a $5 bill back and no change. They just owed you 35 cents. Literally nothing. Yeah. And I think that machine might've been like broken or something, but you know, at that point it was just like, well, we're just out that. So that was my experience. It was the, the thing that was the most alarming to me was how clear it is that you're sitting there just losing money. It's like, what could be addicting about this? I couldn't even, after playing it for five, for $10, it's just like, <laughs> I don't know. You're just losing, losing, losing. Yeah. So uh, similar, like I've gone to Vegas a couple of times and bet the roulette wheel is always what gets me. I always feel like if I put it on black and the bottom third, I increase the chances that I'm going to, you know, pay it. It's going to yeah. work, you know? Yeah, yeah. Doesn't work. Doesn't matter. Nothing. If if I do red and evens, I've got fifty percent a shot on each one, and it'll be good. And now you always end up losing. It's because the zero and the double zero. But anyway, I'm curious on that. I so my understanding of roulette was that it's just kind of like black or red, 
but I saw I saw people playing it. You know, there's the there's the roulette kind of spinner thing with the ball, but then there's the table where people put their chips, right? Where they're like betting stuff. And everyone I saw was putting it on specific numbers, putting their chips on specific numbers. But I guess you can also just bet like red or just black. And if it lands on anyone that's black, then you get some payout, but it's a lot smaller. Mm, yeah. Yeah. The payouts are, are smaller. If you can bet red and black, you can also bet odd and even, or you can bet the top third of numbers, the middle third or the lower third of numbers, or I forget how many numbers there are, but let's say it's one through 16 and 17 through 32 or something like that. Or you can bet the columns, like you got column A, column B, column C, right? You can do all that. Or you can bet individual numbers. And of course, if you bet the individual numbers and it hits, that's the biggest payout, right? So when I was describing how I like to bet, it's like, well, I'll bet two ways. And then if that way, if it spins, I have, I double my chances of winning and you, you would think that works, but you also double your chances of losing. So it's, it, it doesn't really help you, but I guess it increases if you do multiple things each time it increases that you'll hit one of them, but one of them may not make up for the other two that you lost, you know? So, but at least, you know, you continue to get this sort of rush of winning something but you're right. At the end of the day, it's always been at the end of the day, like, oh, that that was kind of. I feel <laughs> bad. Although the, <laughs> it's like I just got had. But one time I did have a a fun, good experience, and um, don't know if our listeners will think less of me because of this. But I did go to a, a poker table one time. Mm-hmm. And that you have a little more, you're playing a game and you have a little more control over what happens and the house already makes their money. They make the 10% off the top, right? So you pay a hundred dollars in or whatever, and they give you a bunch of chips, but they're taking $10 entry fee. So they don't care what happens on the table. Now you're, you're competing against other people. There's luck aspect, of course, regarding your cards, but there's a skill aspect in how well you play your cards. You judge your risk of what you've gotten, how likely it is to win versus, how you see other people play and what their likelihood of to win and how smart you think they are, or if they're being a little less than smart, but maybe they're pretending to be less than smart. So you'll think that they're less than smart. And it's like all of these trap doors everywhere that you don't want to fall through. So I got into a game once and I was sitting at a table and there were, you know, some, some friends around and I really didn't know what I was doing. I mean, I knew how to play poker because we had, played some the night before just to make sure we all understood the rules. And so I immediately go in and I'm overconfident and I just bet something and I, I lose like more than half my stack, like on the first or second hand. And I'm like, I am in over my head, right? I am in over my head. And so I just decide not to bet at all unless I have like a sure thing because the antes, at least the first rounds, are not so big as to where they'll knock you out. So you can put your ante in, and then if you don't have a good hand, you just fold. And I just said, I'm just going to watch. I'm just going to watch and watch and watch until I am sure that I have got the thing. Well, it turns out that's a great strategy, like to never bet unless you've got a really good hand. And then so people started falling off. So I get to the point where there's just like six of us left at this table. Like, and I, this is maybe my first time playing at it, like a poker game. So I, my heart's beaten and stuff. There's like six <laughs> of us left. And I don't know if, if you know poker, but I got dealt 
this is uh, Texas Hold'em. So your first two cards come down, and I got dealt two jacks. So I had a pair and a high pair on the down part that nobody could see. And I was like, this is a good hand. And I started to bet it, but there was another guy on the other side of the table that was also betting it real strong. And I like put something in, tried to kick him out, and he kept betting. And I said, this doesn't feel right to me. I have a great hand, but this doesn't feel right to me. I'm going to fold, right? <laughs> this really, I'm just going to fold. Maybe I'm an idiot, but I'm going to fold. So I fold, and it turns out the guy had, they call those when they're laying down like that, they have pocket kings. So he definitely would have beat me, right? And so I was right in that particular instance to fold. And so then he gets in a fight with the guy next, not a fight. Like, like he's, they're juggling, they're, they're betting each other out of the game. And then eventually it's there. One of those guys is gone. Right. And now it's just three people left. Is that, a, oh, sorry. You maybe were going to say, is that, that a good thing to be like still in the game? Yeah. So the top three positions in, in the poker game get to divide the money. Okay. So the, and if I remember right, it was $500 goes to the number one player. 300 goes to the second and 200 goes to the third or something like that. It was something like that. So I was in the money, right? I paid a hundred dollars to play. Now I was going to at least get my money back plus, plus a hundred bucks. And I was in first place. Like I had the most chips on the table. So I was like, this is great. This is great. Right. This is great. And then, but the guy, but the guy next to me, he had my number. I don't know how to tell, but there was like a couple hands where he would call my bluff and I wasn't, I started bluffing in the first place, which is a bad idea. And he got me out and, he, and I could tell that he was on to me. He could see what, whatever I was doing, there was a weakness in it. So the third guy that was in third place, he says, Hey guys, why don't we just call it now? We all go in and just, we divvy up the only one third, one third, one third. So we don't have to sit here all night you know, banging each other's heads. And we just wasted three hours of our day trying to knock each other out. Right. But I'm in first place. I'm still in first place, but I see this guy next to me. Who's like, got my number. And I, so I say to him, like, well, I'm in first place. So I've got the most to lose. Like, I don't want to half everything with everybody. So he was like, all right, well, what if <laughs> this is, you know, <laughs> what if this is the, what we're negotiating now It's like, yeah, what, yeah, what yeah. if you get 450 and we take the extra hundred and I was like, fine. And that sounds good. So we quit the game and we all went about, but that was the one good experience I had where I felt like I didn't lose something in Vegas. So I actually yeah. came out uh, to the positive on that one. That is pretty, that is pretty impressive, especially on your first round of poker. I know. Well, he, well here's the thing is that I was like, man, maybe I'm good at this. So next time, <laughs> next time we go completely different time. I wish I wasn't in Vegas. I was a different casino. It was, uh, somewhere else, but we went back to Vegas. I was like, maybe I'm good at this poker. I should go try to get myself yeah. in another game. And so I went to a poker table when we were in Vegas and it was a huge room. And it was one where people are cycling in and cycling out, like as opposed to a set game. This is like, you could join them on the fly and start betting and stuff like that. So that's, uh, it's a little more difficult to see who you're playing with, you know, when that happens and yada, yada. suffice it to say, I got my lunch taken from me pretty quickly. So this is definitely some, you know, so maybe, maybe the gambling gods got theirs after all, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> but I think it's good to have those experiences once in a while where you just totally get taken and you're like, as an adult and you're like, what happened? <laughs> that's good. You think that's good? <laughs> yeah, I think so. I think it keeps you a little bit humble. A little know? bit humble. Hmm. I can't just like hop in and like dominate always. Got to, got to take my, my lickings as well. So how was the pool in Vegas? Was it fun? 
the pool was fun. So I think I may have mentioned this uh, last time, but Anna bought some magazines like Startup and Entrepreneur and Harvard Business Review, like a few different magazines that we read through at the pool. And that was just like really fun to have some conversation topics, you know, because when it's just us, like we're together all the time. And and sometimes like you, you need some outside influence to spur the conversation. So that was pretty fun. It was kind of low key at the pool and it was so restricted. One of the days we couldn't even get in because they're limiting the capacity so people can stay distant, right? And when we looked at this place online, there's like all these pools, right? There's like this big pool in the middle that's circular and then there's these side pools and it just like looks like this really cool thing. But then once you get in there, you find out that only like the main center pool is available to anybody like the all the side pools you have to like pay three hundred dollars for a a tent or a day bed or something to like go use those pools so that was another kind of disappointing (laughs) (laughs) i'll bet i was i was reading the news sometimes on my iphone and i saw a news feed on it and it was um it was like las vegas might be <laughs> Las Vegas might be the next spreader spreader center, you know, for the coronavirus. Mm-hmm. You know, I get all this mm-hmm. negative coronavirus news. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, oh my god, Dan, Dan, is he? Dan's going there. My partner. <laughs> What's that? It's PSA, people. Don't try this at home. <laughs> Dan's a professional. <laughs> Very good. No, but it sounds like everything was safe for you. You feel everybody's good. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I mean. It's hard to know. Like, I do feel like, I don't know if it's because I'm, I'm younger or, or what. I have kind of this different perspective that it's just hard to know what's really going on. You know, we t- we're taking all these precautions to make sure that, you know, people are as safe as possible, wearing masks, social distancing. But, you know, like, is that going to solve it? Or is like being in the same room as a hundred other people when you're walking through the lobby, even if everyone's kind of keeping their space and wearing masks, like, are you still going to get it? You know, if, you, if you're outside walking down the street, is that a, a different scenario? And so you kind of got to weigh all the, all the different things you can do to keep yourself safe against just like what you're going to do in your life and where you're going to go, you know? Yeah, totally. So can I tell you about a little bit about um, my purchases for the week? Yeah, I want to hear. So what I bought was some doors. So, and why I bought it is we have these wooden doors. I mean, most doors are wood, but these doors look like they're made of wood, which sounds nice, but they're more like wood paneling doors. You know, they're, they're old. They're just, they were here from the house when they were in their sixties. They've got no decoration on them. They look like wood paneling. They, they kind of need to change. And we also haven't really been treating them with a lot of respect. I mean, they've had stickers on them from the the kids and stuff like that. And that's cool, but they're looking kind of beat up at this point. And, you know, the doorknobs are like old and a lot of them don't even lock anymore. They're just like in a permanent state of unlock. You know what I mean? (laughs) And like the fixtures and the hinges are gold and kind of fading gold. Right. And so it's, it just looks like very dated. I'm like, I'm going to get some doors and it'll really like spruce the place up. It'll feel, it'll feel like a new, a new hallway. It'll feel like a new house. I mean, and so that was the thing I was going to go do that. And it's like, well, doors are easy, right? They're, they're easy because they're on hinges. You just unscrew the hinge from the wall and then you put the other 
go to this hardware store. I mean, go to Lowe's and you get a door and you put it up and you screw it in. It's easy, right? Mm-hmm. So you weren't doing anything with the framing or anything? Not the framing, just the door. The frame stays the same. The frame is the frame is white. So I don't know, you know, the door is, is brown. So like not anyway, but so I didn't need to buy a frame. So I go in to buy the doors and I'm, get, I'm getting the doors, but, and the doors have holes where you can buy the lock part of them, the handlebar and all that. So you can easily attach those. But once I get it home, I'm starting to like, well, I have to, I have to put the hinge in it and where do you put the hinge? And they don't have the little grooves that you put the hinge in, in the door. So you have to you screw the hinge like to the outside of the door. It's not what you're supposed to do, but that's what you end up doing. So you, you actually have to make that little hole. I don't know. I won't call it a hole. I'll call it a, a, a divot. It's a rectangle with rounded corners, right? It's what it sort of sits in to make everything flush. And I'm just shocked that they don't have these pre-done because they have the hole for the handle, but they don't have the little thing. So then... What we do is we go to YouTube, look everything up, right? So we go into YouTube. It's like, how do you make the little piece? I'm not a wood guy. I mean, there may be some people listening. They're like, Duh, come on, guy. But it's like, I don't know how to make that little divot. How would you make that divot, Dan? How would you do it? Yeah, I, I don't even know. I, yeah. Yeah, so I didn't either. So I look it up. And so the number one results on YouTube are you take a wood chisel and you chisel the shape around like you and then you sort of chisel it you chisel it out by hitting the chisel and you sort of scrape up the wood so that it's in i can see from the expression your face is exact you scrape it up you hack it you hit it down and then you scrape it up into the right shape of the thing and you're supposed to screw screw it in you're like doing this by hand and you're supposed to do it by hand right that's what according to youtube right and so I'm like, well, is this the way it works? I'm, the top three results on YouTube all tell me to do this way of doing it, right? I'm like, okay, right? YouTube must know. I don't even own a chisel. So I go to my neighbor's house. He gives me a chisel. I come back. I set the thing oh up. Oh, my and I gosh. Yeah. I'm just trying to replace the door. And so I, I hit the thing and go around on the edges. And then I start hitting it so it's like tries to come up and get kind of get the wood out of the door, you know, so it's sort of supposed to come up like this. And it looks like a complete hack job. What would you expect? I mean, I'm I'm taking a wood chisel and I'm like hacking at this thing. Oh my God. But anyway, it looks, it ends up looking somewhat like a a rectangle on the side. Okay. So I'm, I'm changing the one door that's like, is the most like hidden in the house. It's like in the corner. And so I end up like putting it on there, but it, here's the thing about doors is you put it on there and like, quarters of inches matter like eighths of inches matter like if you don't have that right and it'll just stick and you, you try to sh- you try to shut it and then it sticks it's like and then you're like oh jesus and so after i screw it all up there it won't it won't shut so now i'm taking off the hinge again and i'm going up there with the wood chisel trying to like there's one section that's like slightly didn't get deep enough or something. And I'm chiseling out the section and I'm putting in the hinge and it's like a disaster. Right. And so I finally, and then as I'm doing that, I chisel it is in such a way that you can, a piece breaks off. And on the other side of the door, you now have, you can see there's like a little, it's not perfect. Right. It's like, look there, you can see right there where you tried to chisel that thing out. So I'm like, there's got to be a better way. So this, this is a story about spending on home improvement. Okay, because I went and I got a couple of doors. But then, like, there's got to... Now I have to make the little divot. There's got to be a more professional way. And then so I start um, Googling, and it turns out there's a, there's a thing called a router. 
that you get and it's a machine. And then you put a template on top of the side of the door and you put the router in there, which has a, a round handle that you put a grip and you, you, you go around this template and it makes the shape for you. And it's this little blade that spins around and around really fast. And so I'm like, Oh, that's what people are doing. That's how you do it. It makes a nice, a nice shape. So let me go back to Lowe's. So I go back to Lowe's and now I'm buying I wanted to buy a door and a hinge and a lock, but now I'm buying a door hinge, a lock, a router and a hinge template or whatever. It turns out Home Depot doesn't even carry these hinge templates. Got to go to Lowe's to get the hinge template. So now I'm getting deep. Like this is like, yes. <laughs> like if you're like ever like in a coding situation and you're looking for like a database driver that only five people in the world like are using, I'm like, why is this not more common when all of these doors don't have this on it? You know what I mean? <laughs> they all don't have them. Uh, and so eventually I bring, I bring it back and I learn how to do the router, but I get it all together and I put up the door, but one of the router things that I make is slightly too deep. And so now I'm doing the hinge and the thing is stuck again. And so now I got to go to the side of the door where the thing is stuck. And now I'm sanding it with my hand, trying to just sand it down enough so you can shut the door. Doors are complicated, Dan. That is some dedication. <laughs> Seriously, I would have given up at the chisel. <laughs> I would have said, you know what? This is not for me. I don't mind the wood doors that much. <laughs> Did you uh, have that thought like ever backing out or it was just you're, you're committed? I, I don't know. I just kept going and it got even funnier because after I got the second door up, it's also wouldn't close because of the side, but it also wouldn't close because of the, the carpet underneath. So the carpet was too long and it had to be shut another quarter inch had to be cut off the bottom of the door. It was a mess. <laughs> Coda is on it. I'm on my hands and knees, like with some scissors, like cutting the carpet so, so that it's like just, did you really, I did have to do that. Yeah. And how did, did it look okay? Yeah, it looks fine because the carpet was really long carpet. So it was just right near the edge of the door. It needed to be trimmed a little bit. So it looks fine. (laughs) Nobody needs to worry. It doesn't look all hacked up or anything, but yeah, man. You didn't have to cut out like the whole um, (laughs) angle of the door, like all the way open. You have to cut all that carpet. I did have to cut it so it looked even, but it doesn't look like bare. Like there's, here's, there's, here's where there's no carpet. It doesn't look like that. I just had to. trim it it's good it's good I swear. how does it look we need a picture of this on the podcast oh, on the podcast okay i'll yeah on the announcement how does it look does it look good are you looks good the, looks good it shuts nicely it ended well but here's the thing i got 10 more doors to do so yeah yeah i was gonna uh, say you can't just start with one door you got to get them all yeah. like now they yeah. look all different so what's your emotional aptitude for continuing this project okay so this is actually a money story too I mean, I could continue to do it. I feel like I know a little bit more, but the problem is some of these doors are not standard size. They're eighths of an inch matter, quarters of an inch matter. So now I'm thinking about going and getting, I don't see, I'm such such not a word worker. I don't even know the name for it, but it's basically a table that you can sit your wood on. You can slide it across and make a nice even cut so that everything is nice and smooth and even, but you know, that's a commitment and you need space for that. And that's a, yeah, that's like a big machine, right? Like, a, I, I think it might even be called a table saw. Yeah, that's just what it's it is. Like, that's what it's like table a table saw. saw on a table and you, yeah, you go, that's mm-hmm. an investment. Yeah, it's an investment. And so we could get someone to do it maybe and come in and do it. But 
there's coronavirus concerns, right? I mean, do right, you right, invite right. people yeah. in your house now? I'm not sure what, what people do. Yeah, so. no, that is an interesting thing, especially for a project like that. Like you'd need to be in there for some hours to hang all the doors. Yeah. That is crazy that they don't have the hinge things pre cut out. That's insane. Yeah. And so I was like, maybe they don't do it because it's like not standard sizes. Like every door is different, but it's not true because when you buy the hinge template, they tell you where to put it. Like exactly like here's where you do it. And so you, so you can measure it out and apply it to the side of the door. So that's not it. So that's a business idea for somebody make doors with the preset hinge templates. They'll fly off the shelves. That's insane. Well, props to you for sticking with that project. I have a tremendous amount of respect. (laughs) That's good. So, um, cool. Anything else? There is actually one thing that's pretty cool. That's a new thing. It's called Literati. It's the subscription service that they send you like five books. It's like $8 a month. They send you five books at the beginning of the month. And they're like new kids books. So this is for our kids. And you can keep as many as you want and buy them at like a slightly reduced price. It's like either at or cheaper than you could get it from Amazon. Or you can just send them back and you just pay the eight bucks for like the service. And so we started that this week. And that's been really cool to have kind of that influx of books and ideas and kind of creativity for our kids and like looking through different books, reading through them, kind of experiencing them. It's a little bit like going to the library almost, you know, like people used to do where you go to the library, you get some books, you check them out. Maybe you read them all, maybe you don't, but you just kind of get the experience and then drop them back off. Are the books used or new when you get them? They're like brand new and they're, they're current books too. Like, Having come out in the past few years, I assume. So if you send some back, what do they do with those? If they're always sending out new ones? I don't know the answer to that. But I do. they do have a kind of a bonus thing that's pretty cool, which is you can send back the books that they sent you. You can also put other books in the box as a donation. And they like give those books to, I don't know, people that can't afford books or different like kids programs or whatever. But. I thought that was like pretty ingenious, you know? Yeah. And the kids like the books that are, that were in the, in the box. Yeah. They were awesome. I think we ended up keeping like one or two for each of them. We've got it for each of our girls. So it's pretty cool. Like I'm, I'm into this like phase right now as a dad where it's like, I really got to make sure my kids can read well and like spend time with them and like work through some of the, especially our younger one, Faye, she's just like right at that spot where she can read and she can sound out words that she doesn't know, but it's a laborious mental process, you know? And so we've got to keep exercising that to where she's just comfortable kind of cranking through it. So I'm into it right now. That's good. That's a good, why'd you buy that, man? Good stuff. I keep seeing this ad for the thing called wonder dads. Have you seen this? No, <laughs> it's, it's like, uh, it's an, I'm not sure what it is, but it's more like things you can do with your kids, but I don't, I actually don't like know a company or something. It's a company and a service, I think, but topic for another day, I think. So, um, yeah, if you're new to the pod, we're the co-founders of weekly, it's a new kind of budgeting app. It's the unbudgeting budgeting app. How about that? Is it, like it's like that. the uncola like seven up. <laughs> Do you remember that? No. Um, no. No. 
Anyway, <laughs> there was an ad at one point for 7-Up. They called it the Uncola. Anyway, so describe the way it works. Would you like to do that? Yeah, for sure. Um, so weekly, kind of like Drew said, we're, we're trying to simplify budgeting so you can budget a little less and spend a little more time living life. So the way weekly works is you put in your recurring income and expenses and weekly calculates based off your recurring expenses, how much you can safely spend every week. And then you can link it up to your bank account, get your transactions pulled in automatically. And then weekly will prompt you to review those transactions when they come in. And anything that's not your recurring expenses will come out of that weekly safe to spend amount. And you can track with just one number how much you have to spend each week. So it's a really simplified way to look at your spending, making sure that you're not spending more than you want to be with your savings goals and other recurring expenses in mind. But it also eliminates kind of the the hassle of categorizing transactions and trying to, to move your money around more than is needful. If you want to try the app, you can go to weeklybudgeting.com. We're in the iOS app store. No Android at this point, but if you have an iPhone Go check it out. You can download it. We'd love to have you on board. We'd love to hear your thoughts. If you have any questions for us, you can reach us at support at weeklybudgeting.com. And we thank you for you know using and for being a listener. Also, if you want to try our Facebook group, you can go to facebook.com slash weeklybudgeting. Ask to join our group and uh, we can continue the conversations about budgeting. You can tell us what kind of features you might like on the app, or we can just have budgeting discussions about spending there. So we look forward to hearing from you. Minutes since I've had that. And she's my type of girl, and everybody 